Hi, St. Clair. My name is William Albert, and it is good to be with you. Wherever you find yourself, whether you're on the road, driving to get a last-minute vacation in before the school year starts, or you're at home, it is good to be with you. If you're new with us and you're joining us for the first time, we've been doing a series over the summer looking at the book of Psalms. And when I was asked to speak on the book of Psalms, I had a sense in my spirit that I wanted to speak on Psalm 40. Now, Psalm 40 has a very personal place in my heart. I love this psalm, which I will get to later. But on a spiritual and prophetic level, I believe that this psalm actually has a word for someone that needs to be encouraged. And so I hope that at the end of this, you leave encouraged and strengthened. Now, before we jump into Psalm 40 specifically, I want to take some time and look at the Psalms in general. We've had a lot of brilliant speakers over the past few weeks, but I still want to take some time to highlight some things about the Psalms in general. Now, as we look at the Psalms, we see that the Psalms are poetic descriptions of the human experience and of the human interaction with God. You see, they are not lofty or aloof ideologies or concepts. Rather, they are honest and relatable expressions. And I think this is why so many people find comfort in the Psalms and why they've been used for centuries within the church tradition as prayers and reflections. Now, Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament theologian, has a helpful framework of describing three themes that summarize all of the Psalms in general. Now, a brief word about this framework. Frameworks are not all-encompassing. What they're meant to do is to highlight themes and to help us understand and grasp these concepts. But I do understand that this is not fully encompassing of every single psalm. This is more a general overview to help us understand what's taking place. And so the way Walter Brueggemann describes the three different types of psalms is he says there are psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of reorientation. Now to go into further detail, psalms of orientation describe when human life consists in satisfied seasons of well-being that evoke gratitude or a constancy of blessing. Psalms of disorientation describe when human life consists of seasons of hurt, anguish, suffering, and sometimes death. And lastly, Psalms of reorientation describe when human life consists of surprise, when we are overwhelmed with the gifts that God gives us, and we see that joy breaks through despair. Now, if we were to take this framework and apply it to Psalm 40, uniquely we would see that Psalm 40 falls actually into two different categories. It falls into a psalm of disorientation and yet also a psalm of reorientation. But for our purposes today, we're going to look at just verses 1 through 10, the first half of Psalm 40. And this half 
could be best categorized as a psalm of reorientation. This idea that joy breaks through despair. So if you have a Bible handy or you would just like to listen, I am reading from the ESV and I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 10 of Psalm 40. This is what the word says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. That's the end of verse 10. And so the two questions that I want us to look at today are firstly, what does this psalm teach us about who God is? That's the first question. The second question I want us to look at is how does this psalm change the way we live? How do these words on these pages affect the way that we live? And so as we look at verses one to three, the first thing I want to draw our attention to is God's deliverance, this character of deliverance. Now, Psalm 40, to give you a bit of context, we see that it was written by David and David is in despair and he describes God rescuing him. Many scholars believe that he wrote this Psalm while he was in exile and it describes his experience in exile and also his return from exile into kingship. Look at what verse one says. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. In the original Hebrew, this could also be translated as, I hoped intensely for Yahweh. You see, in either description, the message comes across that David is in despair and he is in desperate need of a deliverer. Now, interestingly, in this first three verses, this is the only time we see the word I used. David says, I waited, that personal pronoun. And this is the only action that we see 
David do in these first three verses? He just waited. He did not need to do anything else but wait. How often are we quick to try and solve our own problems instead of waiting on the Lord? I don't know about you, but oftentimes I am guilty of trying to rush in and do everything on my own strength. But here we see that David waits patiently for the Lord. And now notice how this drastically shifts as we look to the second part of verse 1 and to the end of verse 3. Notice how many times we see the pronoun he referring to God. We actually see this five times in this section alone. We see that the emphasis has now shifted from verse 1 and God is initiating every act. He inclined, he heard, he drew me up, he set my feet, and he put a new song in my mouth. You see, God is our savior. This repetition brings me comfort. And it reminds me that God hears me when I call out to him and he is willing to deliver me from despair. He wants to deliver me from despair out of places that he doesn't want me to be in because he longs to see us walking in freedom. God does for me what I cannot do out of my own strength and ability. And I can rest assured based on these verses that God is a God of deliverance. And I want to encourage you today that if you've never heard that, God is a God of deliverance. Now, interestingly, this characteristic of God is not only apparent in this passage, but this characteristic actually harkens back to the Exodus. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Notice the similarities between Exodus chapter 3 verses 7 to 8 and Psalm 40 verses 1 to 3. We hear that God heard their cry. And we also hear that God brings them up out of a place that they shouldn't be into a place that they should be. We see that God is unchanging and he has proven time and time again that he hears us and he delivers us in our time of need. Now you may be listening to this and saying, but these are just words on a page. Well, I can attest to the personal side of things. And I thought I would share a story that's very personal to me where I've seen God at work. Most recently, my wife and I, we had a son and we named him Ezra. And we love him so very much. He's just over a month old. And many people actually already know this because of social media and through relationship, through conversation. But what a lot of people don't know is that we struggled with infertility for a few years before we had Ezra. We went through infertility treatment. We visited with different doctors. 
And we didn't understand what was going on, why this wasn't happening for us. This was a really difficult season to walk through. Disappointing, broken, and just hard. And I remember during this time, I came across Psalm 40 one morning as I was reading my Bible. And this just became one of my favorite Psalms to pray. And I loved the verse where it said, I cried out to God and he heard my cry. That just brought me so much comfort. And I prayed that almost on a daily basis. God, would you deliver me out of this place? Would you hear my cry? And surely enough, he did. We are so fortunate to have our son. And it's all because of God's deliverance. Nothing that we could do on our own, but because of God's goodness and his faithfulness towards us. And you may not understand God's reasoning or God's timing as you wait for him to deliver you out of a place of despair. But I want to encourage you today that God truly is a God of deliverance. He hears our cries, he knows our pain and affliction, and he longs to bring us out of those places. And one thing I know for sure is that he does not allow us to remain in despair forever. We don't understand his timing, his ways, or his thoughts, but we do know that he is a good God. And so now that we have talked about this characteristic, of God's deliverance and his faithfulness. I want to continue to ask ourselves, how does this change the way we live? Now that we know that God is a God of deliverance, how does this change the way we live? And so the first point that I want to make as we look at verses four and five is that deliverance, when we experience God's deliverance, it should lead us to trust him. Deliverance leads to trust. You see, one of the most fatal human, one of the most fatal flaws of human nature is that all too quickly we forget God's goodness towards us. How quickly after God delivers us and shows up for us do we run back to idolatry or become boastful of the ways in which we were able to do things in our own strength, essentially to save ourselves. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, stories of how the Israelites were quick to forget the Lord their God. And oftentimes we are no different. I am no different. However, David reminds us here in verse four that blessed are those who put their trust in the Lord. As we experience God's deliverance, it should strengthen our trust in God. You see, God's deliverance teaches us and reminds us that he is our source of strength, our source of hope, and our source of life. All other things, even good things, don't satisfy us the way that God does. And so if I was to ask us one question as an application question, it would be, where do you turn to when life is good or difficult? Where do you turn to when life is good or difficult? Do you run to God and thank him for his faithfulness or cry out when you need him? Or do you turn 
to the things that satisfy temporarily. I know in my own life, I have quickly often turned away from God. But I'm slowly learning that as I experience his goodness and his faithfulness, I know what kind of person he is. I know what I know who God is, and therefore I know that I can trust him. As we look at the second point, we're going to turn to verses 6 to 8. And the second point that I want to bring up is that deliverance leads to obedience. When we experience God's deliverance, it leads us to obey. Now we see in this stanza, verses 6 to 8, that David is delighted to surrender and obey God after having experienced his deliverance firsthand. We see in verse 6 that David's ears have been opened and he is ready to listen and to obey. He understands that while the ritual sacrifice was a necessary and valuable part of the Jewish law, this wasn't actually God's first desire. God wanted David's heart, and he wants ours too. He wants relationship. And so when we experience God's deliverance, it should cause us to want to obey God because we know that he genuinely desires good things for us. We no longer feel obligated to obey, but rather it comes out of a place of overflow, out of a place of joy. And we willingly want to surrender our lives because once again, we know the characteristic and the nature of who God is. We know he's a God of deliverance. We know he's a God of faithfulness and we know that he is good. And so the second application question I would ask us as we analyze our own lives and the way that these words should form and shape us, is there an area of your life that you have yet to surrender to God? Is there an area that you have yet to surrender to God? Is there something you're holding onto tightly because you don't fully believe that God has the best for you? If so, I would encourage you to pray into that Because I truly believe that God wants to reveal his heart to us. And as we ask, God is willing to give and reveal those things to us. The last point that I want to make, point number three, as we look at verses 9 and 10, is that when we experience deliverance, it leads us to testimony. Deliverance leads us to testimony. You see, as we experience God's deliverance, it should lead us to share our story with those around us. After having experienced God's deliverance, David says in verse 9 that he literally cannot restrain his lips. He continues in verse 10 by saying he has not hidden God's righteousness in his heart. Instead, he has proclaimed what God has done to others. The ESV uses this phrase, the great congregation, two different times in this section. And we see that David shares God's goodness with this great congregation. You see, we do not exist for ourselves alone. Redemption is not solely for us. We are redeemed so that we can bear witness and partner with God to redeem other people. 
Another way of saying this is that what God does in you, he wants to do through you. Your story matters. I think one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that your story doesn't matter. But that is completely untrue. Your life is not arbitrary or meaningless. The things that happen in your life have a purpose, even the bad things. God doesn't cause pain to happen, but he can use painful situations to speak to you and to other people. And if you're willing, God can use your testimony to bring about redemption in other people. It's such a powerful thing that we have, our testimony and our story. And so the last application question I would ask as we analyze our lives and as we look at the words of Psalm 40, the question I would pose to you is this, who is God calling you to share your story with? Is there a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone that you know in your circle that you could be sharing what God has done in and through your life? I believe that if we are willing to share our story like we've been seeing as we've been doing the sermons and the stories this summer, I believe that God will be able to use those stories to transform the hearts and lives of those around us. I'm going to pray for us as we close. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of deliverance. We thank you that you hear our cry and that you lift us up out of a place of despair, out of a place of brokenness, and you place our feet on a rock, a solid foundation. Father, I pray that this truth would become alive in our hearts, but ultimately, Lord, I pray that through this we would learn to trust you more. We would learn to obey you. And Father God, would you give us the boldness to share our story with those around us? Would you use our stories, the good and the bad, to speak life and healing into those around us? And Father, lastly, I pray if there is anyone who has never experienced your goodness, your faithfulness, or your deliverance, or if someone is waiting to be delivered currently out of a place of brokenness, Father, I pray that you would give them peace and comfort and you would meet them where they are at. Lord, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Be blessed as you go, St. Clair. I hope these words have touched you and encouraged you. Thank you.